You're listening to the Skift Podcast. We're back from our late summer break with a special live-streamed panel discussion conducted by Skift's editorial team last week on September 5th, the very day that New York City's short-term rental crackdown went into effect. Senior hospitality editor Sean O'Neill was joined on the panel by executive editor Dennis Shaw, travel tech reporter Justin Dawes, and short-term rental reporter Shravidya Kalyanaraman to discuss the details of the new regulations and how they affect hosts, travelers, hotels, the city, and the industry at large. Since this panel, Skift has reported that Airbnb, the brand synonymous with short-term rentals, has lost 77% of its New York City listings over a three-month period. For this reporting and all the latest news in the business of travel, visit skift.com. And if you haven't already, check out live.skift.com for information on how to attend the 10th annual Skift Global Forum in New York City this September 26th through the 28th, where we'll feature leaders from throughout the travel industry on stage, including Airbnb CEO Brian Chesky, who will no doubt have some comment to offer on the challenges posed by these regulations to Airbnb and other short-term rental players. Enjoy the conversation. Hello. Welcome to this LinkedIn Live New York City Crackdown. What's next for short-term rentals? Uh, my name's Sean. I'm with Skift. Today is September 5th. It's a big day in New York City when it comes to short-term rental regulation, and Skift has been all over this with team coverage. Uh, we're here for the next half hour or so to talk through this issue from multiple angles uh, with our all-star crew. We'll also respond to your questions. Feel free to post those questions in the comments uh, chat here on LinkedIn. Um, and all of this is a preview ahead of Skift Global Forum, which is coming later this month. Uh, we'll have all the top CEOs from the major travel companies across the world. And if you hang with us through this full half hour, We'll have a special QR code for you as a, a discount. Um, so let's dive in. Um, let's start with Dennis Shaw, Skift Executive Editor and uh, the best reporter covering Airbnb in the industry. You've been all over this story, Dennis. So let's start. Why is today a big deal? Hey, Sean, my colleagues have done a great job too. So <laughs> glad to be here on Crackdown Day. So uh, last night I did a search on Airbnb for a stay in New York City next week, you know, after the deadline. And usually, you know, how you find, you know, hundreds of listings, apartments all over the five boroughs or whatever. So the first three listings I saw were an apartment in Newark, New Jersey. Now, I love Newark, New Jersey. I used to work in Newark, New Jersey. But if I'm coming into the city with my family, I don't want to stay in Newark, New Jersey. The second listing was for a boutique hotel in, in the city, a hotel, not an apartment. And the third was a boutique hotel in Long Island. So it's a big vanishing act in terms of uh, listings, the way they're going away. So Skift estimated that Airbnb, which is the biggest player in New York City, lost, you know, immediately lost about 70% of its listings. That's a conservative estimate, um, could be a lot higher. And you have to remember that the number of listings in New York City now, or, you know, as of yesterday, uh, were down compared to pre-COVID 2019. So um, there's a, a paucity of listings. So what changes today? The big things that changes today, that change today is that hosts have to be registered with the city and they're subject to big fines if they're not registered. 
Another thing is that platforms like Airbnb, Verbo, Booking.com, they now, now have to send monthly reports to the city on the number of transactions or details on the transactions, I should say. They have to verify that the, that the listings that they have are registered and they too face huge fines for noncompliance. Now we heard from Booking.com that the city is actually not gonna be clamping down today or in the next couple of weeks if they feel like the platform or the host um, are trying to comply, if the host is, you know, put in an application, but the city hasn't gotten around to approving it, you know, they're not going to be fined heavily right away, unless it's like a huge house party or something like that. Um, the actual rules for what a listing in have actually been in place for um, quite a while. Um, they just haven't been rigor rigorously enforced. So those rules are only shared stays are legitimate where the host is present um, unless the stay is in a whole home or apartment. But for those, those stays have to be 30 days or longer. Um, there can be a maximum of two guests. So forget about coming into the city. You know, if you're a family of four or a family of five, uh, you're going to have to go for, you know, two hotel rooms. You know, if it's Christmas time, you could be paying like seven, 600, 700 bucks a room. Uh, gone are the, you know, the cheap, affordable stays. And then a, thing, a few things about the numbers. Um, these, these things should be emphasized that the city has done a really lousy job in getting ready for this big day, crackdown day. Uh, as of last Monday, they told SCIF they'd received 3,250 registration applications from host, and they approved a whopping 257 applications in all of New York City. They've oh my only, goodness, that's crazy. <laughs> it's nuts. And they've only looked at a quarter of the applications. So either they're slow walking this thing or they're overwhelmed. It's hard to tell. Um, and then just one other thing I wanted to point out, you know, not surprising for city governments, but the city doesn't appear to really know what it's doing. So Mayor Adams, like I said, you know, people that own one home or two homes and they live in Brooklyn or Staten Island, they're totally shut out of this thing, you know, unless they rent for 30 days. Um, so Mayor Adams went to a, uh, you know, a community meeting in Brooklyn uh, about a month ago, and these homeowners were complaining to him about being shut out of the whole deal. And he said, oh, it was never our intention for you guys to be shut out. We're after the illegal hotels, you know, um, but he didn't have any solutions. He said, go talk to your city council member, um, you know, because it's really their law. He just signs them, you know. So this whole thing, this whole thing has really been a gigantic cluster. You know what? That's what I got to say, Sean. <laughs> That's hilarious, Dennis. Well, I, just to quickly to say hello to everyone who's joining us. Uh, we have people not just in the New York area who are, are commenting here and, and joining us on LinkedIn. We've got people from Virginia, from Vegas, from Tennessee. We welcome, thank all of you, and feel free to ask your questions um, in the chat box because this is an issue, and we'll, we'll get to this in a moment, that is going to affect it. Many people are looking at New York City and what happens here for elsewhere, but also other jurisdictions worldwide have um, touched on this. So I'd like to follow up on a couple of points, Dennis. So I wanted to, you know, um, 
kudos to you for, you know, you broke, you were the first reporter reporting like how many, what the actual percentages were going to be down, many of those numbers that you gave, the coverage over this weekend about the enforcement that you mentioned with booking.com. So you've been really all over this. I guess you mentioned there's going to be fines. You said that was one of the things that's new. Like how big could these fines be? Well, for the platforms, I believe it's $1,500 $1, per booking. Uh, so that could really add up. And then for hosts, I think on the uh, third violation, it's a $5,000 fine. Oof. So um, not insignificant. So when we first started covering this, I could imagine the New York Post doing sort of one of those tabloid headlines where it's New York City to Airbnb, drop dead. But, you know, you're, you said that it's also booking, it's also other. So it's not singling out Airbnb, is that right? Not at all. But Airbnb is by far the biggest player. Uh, Verbo, owned by Expedia, they focus on whole homes. They're mostly in resort locations, not, not as urban as Airbnb. And Booking.com, they're trying to break into New York City, but they're mostly a European, you know, they're based in Amsterdam. Their, their biggest, uh, you know, presence is in Europe. They're trying to get into, uh, into, into New York. And interestingly, if you, I did a search the other day for, um, for apartments on booking.com. And I found like, just for one search, like 140, um, actually for whole homes in New York city, I found 140 that shouldn't be there. So booking.com, but th they've been in touch with the city. They're implementing an API. They said today it's going to take a few days for it to be operational for some of those listings to, to disappear. But no, Airbnb isn't being singled out, but Airbnb definitely has the most to lose. One thing that isn't clear to me, maybe we just don't know, is, you know, on the one hand, are the hosts just voluntarily pulling their listings? Because at the beginning of this conversation, you, you, you quoted, you went on, you looked at Airbnb for listings in New York. And the first thing that pops up is Newark, New Jersey, which is not Manhattan. So are people volunteering or do, you, or do you sense that Airbnb is sort of playing a role by not allowing the calendaring as they talk about it? Yeah, according to Airbnb, they're blocking the calendar if you're not registered. And if your listing is, uh, you know, uh, if you're, you're trying to rent rooms for less than 30 days, um, uh, which is not allowed. And they are um, they are opening up the calendar to whole homes that accept listings uh, that accept bookings for 30 days or longer. Um, they're automatically okaying those because those people that own whole homes, um, one or two uh, for 30 days or longer, they don't have to register with the city. Cool. Could we bring up the slide that sort of has the quote about it being 70% of the active listings? I mean, I just want to really, this this is the headline number that uh, has gotten uh, picked up by a lot of media from Ben Dennis's reporting and just about 70% of its 23,000 listings. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, as a reporter, you, you know, you've taught me Dennis over the time that, you know, I'm not part of the travel industry. I'm, I'm I have no dog in this fight. Uh, uh, so with that caveat, what, what is your sense of the impact for New York, like sort of the puts and the takes? You know, if you live in, in Brooklyn and, you, and you're looking for an apartment and we have all kinds of real estate speculators there, people with, you know, 50, 60 listings, they're taking these houses off the market. Um, you can't find an affordable rental or your rental has gone up. Um, it's probably good news, you know. Um, but on the other hand, I mean, if you're a traveler, um, 
you're not going to be able to come to New York City um, easily, you know, for Christmas, for Thanksgiving. Um, yeah. So um, and then again, for the homeowners, for the for the person that owns a brownstone in, in Brooklyn and is supplementing their mortgage by, you know, taking a, a few bookings, uh, they're going to be hurting. You know, some of them are going to have to sell their homes. Uh, they're going to be struggling. That makes sense. Well, let's find out about those hosts that you just mentioned. So, Justin, you have been reporting on this. You've, you've talked to a lot of people. So tell us about your reporting, what you found from the host perspective. Yeah. So just a bit of background. I reached out to more than 30 hosts. I think most I, most of them were directly through the Airbnb platform. Um, I just messaged people who owned um, like full apartments. Um, most of them, I will say, declined to comment, um, I think, because what they're doing is, you know, they're running illegal operations. Um, I did talk to a few people. Um, and then also for a bit, bit of background, I wanted to say that some of the hosts, I mean, they can make like thousands in profit a month um, with just an average booking. And some some of those listings are like a thousand or two thousand a month for some of the more luxury. So you can imagine it's a pretty profitable business. Um, one person I spoke with anonymously, uh, he said that even though he owns a legal business in New York, the Airbnb, the Airbnbs that he runs, that's his main source of income, and he's planning on um, continuing it, like after this, maybe just off of those public platforms either his own website or um, he wasn't totally sure yet, but it's kind of expected that that thing is probably going to happen. Um, some of the advocates that I spoke with expect it to happen and that might be a little harder to uh, track, but it just, it sort of uh, just kind of depends on if someone reports them or not. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. I suppose there was another person I spoke with who, uh, kind of going back to Dennis's point about the brownstones, they own a house, a duplex in Brooklyn, or in Queens, and um, he manages is it an Airbnb on behalf of his parents who need like need to rent out the other side of their duplex to supplement their income, um, and they think that they'll probably have to move out of the city even though they've lived there for 30 years um and that's there are there's actually a coalition of these types of people um i included it in my story about them needing like, they're then needing to do that and this sort of their argument is like they own the property and they should be able to to do that if they want um i think the other side of the argument is that they're taking thousands of rentals off the market so there are definitely two sides. Someone else I spoke with in Brooklyn, um, she's someone who believes that she's in compliance with the law and always has been. She rents two bedrooms in her house. And the, pro the problem, though, is that she applied in July and still hasn't heard back. And so even though she believes she'll be approved, um, her bookings have been blocked. Um, she's, bit, or she's been blocked from being able to, you know, make additional bookings. And um, 
So it's affecting their income too, which uh, is frustrating for, for that type of situation. Yeah, that's very interesting that law abide, a law abiding person like her is getting snagged on this and is not having income coming in because the city hasn't yet gotten through and uh, approved things. Is that is that the right way to understand that, Justin? Yeah, I mean that's that's um, what I've heard more from more people than just her. And um, one of the main advocates for the law that I've heard is has said that the city's just been slow with hiring people. Um, and they're just now like kind of starting to, and so that's one of the reasons why it's so kind of so late. So, so when you went in, when you went into reporting this, and before you started talking to people, like you you may have had a you know a thought or a guess, and then the way you've done the reporting, did anything sort of surprise you, or was it pretty much come out the way that you sort of expected? I I don't know why I was surprised, but I was surprised at the beginning when people, some everybody was declining one after another after another. And but then I realized, wait, it made sense. I mean, they're running illegal operations. I mean, that's why they're declining. They don't want the city to have their name. Um, so I, it's, I mean, it's kind of telling, I suppose. I mean, it, it shows that they know they're kind of being, doing something illegal, but, um, but a lot of people, I mean, from what I've heard, I mean, let's, a lot of people rely on, it's kind of just become their business and it's, it's, yeah, so it's a it's sort of like a, a big struggle from a lot of angles. Cool. Shri, thanks for your patience here. I'd like to bring you into the convo. Uh, so one of the things Dennis mentioned earlier was about neighboring markets. So maybe you've done some reporting. Uh, you know, how are neighboring markets uh, to, to the five boroughs of New York um, being affected and impacted? Um, thanks, Sean. Well, I want to say that the real impact or the measurable impact of this will only start seeing in the weeks to come. Um, but from the data that I just kind of passed through, um, some counties, I think it was Nassau County and Westchester have seen some listings go up for, um, you know, the, the ideal like seven to 14 day bookings or three to four day bookings. You could think of these as like you know, either people coming into the city for a conference or something specific event related, or even it could just be like the summer, you know, travel um, demand. But I think what's going to happen is that the, there are regulations in place, even in New Jersey or any of these counties. It's just that um, they were not as densely populated and they're also whole homes. Uh, so they were probably pre-regulated already, and they, they probably already had license licenses and permits. But that's all to say that it's too soon to kind of um, see how much of that impact or how much of that traffic or demand gets spilled over to the neighboring uh, counties or regions. My guess would be there will be more of those seven to 14 days or three to four day bookings that will go there. But... Uh, while at the same time, the nights booked or the length of stay, uh, which is for 28 or 29 plus days, have also risen. Um, it's not the number of bookings, but the length of stay, which I think which goes to kind of tell us that people have started booking them early, perhaps to get an early discount or um, because they were just afraid that they will lose out on, you know, the, the limited inventory there will be post September 5th. So that's that's the one but i would still say that 
I mean, as this is a developing story for us at Skift, but also otherwise, um, we will be keeping tabs on this and there will be more, um, the, in, the, the numbers, the data and the story will just get more interesting from here or we can tell more shortly. Cool. Yeah. Well, Sri, just to make sure I understand the point, because I'm I cover mm -hmm. hotels, so I don't always get the short term rental side of it. So you mentioned the difference between bookings and length of stay. So what's the dynamic? What is it that we should be watching for changing? So uh, the number of bookings would mean that you have uh, distinct bookings. That is, you have either more bookings on one property or you have more properties. Therefore, more people are able to book more. But length of stay is just, you can imagine me, instead of a three or seven day stay, I'm just going ahead and booking the place for 30 nights or 29 nights. Because, uh, and then, that, and then that puts you within the regulations then, then you're, you're just sort of switching to comply with regulations. Is that what you mean? Yes. Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, and I think a point to mention here is that, Ed, sorry. No, please. I think the point to mention here is that um, platforms like Airbnb, Booking, VRBO also prefer longer term stays because, you know, you reduce the overhead expenses of cleaning and maintenance and making sure you need to check the property over and over again. So, um, yeah, these platforms have also been, you know, making a push for their guests to have longer term stays. You can you get more discounts. You can pay in installments and things like that. So that that has already been happening. Okay, thanks for you. So we do have a audience audience questions. We'll get get to some more of them later. But one from Andrew Brown is particularly relevant right now. And he asked, you know, do you think this will happen in other areas like Hampton Roads area of Virginia? Um, do you do you, what do you think is the um, Shri, do you, do you think how, to what extent is this sort of like an example, a spotlight for other jurisdictions within the United States? Maybe focus on the United States first. I, I mean, regulations are coming to um, most places in, in the U.S., um, and I don't think it's just restricted to big cities. It's just that we see the impact of these regulations on big cities more because they're either densely populated or there are more listings, and it's, it's, it's not a in-season market, you know, as you can imagine mm. some other mm. ski or lockdowns might be. Um, but even uh, to mention or to go back to Justin's point earlier, um, there will be people, I mean, even if regulations come, there will be people who are going to find another way to, you know, get these rentals. Um, it's already happening in cities like L.A. Um, people have started advertising their places on like Facebook Marketplace and their own website and things like that. Um I, I'm not sure if I can address this specifically to the Hampton Roads area mm. of Virginia. I know Richmond in Virginia recently introduced regulations, but they're almost all of them, despite the intentions or regardless of the intention, have have um, specific ways to regulate, right? Um, more licenses, registration, um, a failure to do so, ending up in fines. Uh, limits on the number of nights that it can actually be rented out and whether it's a private room or a whole house. I think it's it's mostly like these three things that are the main parameters, whether in United States or globally. Okay, well, let's go globally then, because you've done reporting uh, about how New York stacks up against some of the other global cities. So what is it that you found? 
Um, so, so here's so here's a caveat. Um, these can be reversed if they want to. A great example of this is Japan. They first introduced um, what they call minpaku, which is uh, short-term rentals uh, in Japan are called minpaku, and they and they um, introduced this law in June 2018, if I'm not mistaken. And what happened uh, briefly after that, uh, that is in, in 2019, Airbnb had to go and delete like thousands of listings from, from their platform in Japan. But in January this year, um, the government or at least the local government in Tokyo said that they're going to relax some of these rules because they want to balance like uh, the, the demand um, from tourists having to stay also to perhaps possibly avoid, you know, price gouging from hotels. You probably know more about that than I do. Um, so, I mean, I think governments realize that this is filling up a, a big space in terms of accommodating people um, and global travelers. It's just, I think everyone finds it hard to find the balance. Um, now, if you, if you were to look at London, there's something else that's happening. Um, London has 33 boroughs, and uh, I think latest data showed that a lot of landlords in about 15 boroughs want to not um, not have their property listed as short-term rental, but rather a long-term rental because they just don't want to get into it. Um, in Amsterdam, uh, a similar thing happened. I think they first introduced Amsterdam first introduced 2017. They revised the law in 2020. After that, they saw a drop of 60% of the listings were gone. But what started happening was the number of professionally managed properties were on the rise because those are the only people who are willing to stay in the market. They have huge investments. They're either backed by big companies. They're not individual hosts or owners. So, yeah. That, that does seem to be one of the unintentional side effects of this might be to actually encourage more professionalization and sort of takes this this sort of, it's a very good side hustle if you want to start it as an entrepreneur. It's a very easy thing. That was one of the reasons why Airbnb got uh, an early start for sort of people and it would be kind of uh, an unusual, uh, it would be a surprise uh, side effect if, if, if this, it's this kind of increased regulation speeds up um, the professionalization. Dennis, I have a question for you from the audience. Uh, Seth Borko has a question about how important is New York City to Airbnb? Well, Seth, um, Airbnb reported um, last year that it, it generated about $85 million in revenue from uh, New York City alone. And that is only about 1% of Airbnb's um, total revenue uh, in 2022. So it's not a, you know, it's not a big bit. Um, but New York City is a high profile market. Um, and, and don't forget, I, I think uh, probably years ago, um, New York City was probably a larger percentage of Airbnb's revenue, I'm just guessing. But then all these, uh, all these restrictions have come in over the years. It's, it's just now they're, they're being enforced. So I guess the danger is, that other big cities, you know, if we have 10 or 20 cities uh, going the route of New York City, you know, big cities, then that down the road could um, certainly hurt, hurt uh, Airbnb's revenue. Uh, but right now, uh, it doesn't have a, a material impact on Airbnb's financials. Okay. 
Um, we have a question from Aditya Ugali. Um, he asks, is there any reason why New York City is sort of pushing against Airbnb? Is it because of the high cost of li living with that? Uh, it, it, do you have any do you have any sense of what has provoked New York City to to start instituting fines? And they, these laws have been on the book for some time. So part of your pointing is they're really trying to put teeth into them. Yeah, I can answer that. Um, I mean, I think the biggest reason is lack of housing. And um, New York City, I mean, it's kind of like common knowledge that people would say that they there's just a lack of housing. People would say they're in a housing crisis. Um, and in that case, um, there are people who are, have very strong feelings against having tens of thousands of uh, apartments that could be on the long-term rental market, having them... Um, you know, on the short-term rental market for tourists, when there are people who are from New York City who want to stay there and live there. That makes sense. And that's, um, I think that's we, the case everywhere, too. So everywhere, sure, you mean I, in other markets? Sure, Go ahead, Dennis. Yeah, I have a question for you. Um, I definitely agree uh, with Justin about, uh, you know, neighborhoods and, and, and people complaining about Airbnbs. But I wonder, what kind of role do you think the hotel lobby has had? I mean, they've long been hating on Airbnb, you know, asking for a level play, playing field. I have to think that they've played a role with the city council as well. What, what do you think? So I, my reporting was not able to sort of nail this down, but definitely every time you talk to someone who has followed it for some years, they all sort of say, and this is something that Justin has experienced as well. They all say that uh, the, um, it, it's the, somehow related to the hotel lobby, the capital H, capital L, the hotel lobby is, is behind this in certain ways. It does make sense in, in some sense for certain for years, um, the hotels uh, through a variety of associations has gone in and sort of like put some money and petitions and sort of like battled in the same way that Airbnb and some of the online booking providers have also sort of campaigned on the other side uh, against some of these regulations. Um, so it is definitely for hotels. One thing is, is the fairness of the comparison. So hotels are when you're licensed are required to comply with things like accessible, uh, accommodations to make sure that there's access in and out certain uh, safety, uh, rules, uh, making sure that everything from the proper carbon dioxide smoking detectors and whatnot. And many of these Airbnbs are not periodically inspected. They don't have the same things. And also there's for, for quite some time, there were issues around uh, sort of some of the tax tax issues. So um, it makes sense that the two of them are sort of at loggerheads with each other. When I went into this, you know, Dennis, one of the things was I sort of just assumed like it was law of supply and demand that if Airbnb is taking out all the supply, you're saying like 70% of the listings potentially could go down. And that's got to be great news for the hotels. Um, but when I talked with, you know, uh, uh, about a half dozen analysts, uh, it was, a, it was a, a much more of a mixed picture because the city is such a big market. Um, uh, it, it, and because a lot of times Airbnb listings tend to attract people who are very interested in leisure travel, uh, they tend to maybe be more um, uh, budget minded or, or more interested in space uh, if you're a family traveling as your main top, top consideration. And so for those reasons, hotels aren't actually part of the trade-off necessarily. It sort of has created incremental demand to use the jargon. When I talked both internally with the Skip research team and then with analysts at Truist and at Bernstein, 
they said that the big issue is something called compression nights. Uh, and it's not so much that Airbnb is taking away um, bookings from the hotels or, and that in this situation, when Airbnb is um, being throttled in their listings, so to speak, um, hotels are suddenly going to be able to you know, be getting all these additional bookings. Um, as you see from this uh, little chart here, um, Airbnb hurts uh, hotels on high demand nights traditionally. So we're talking about New Year's Eve night, uh, a hotel near Times Square, for example, that ordinarily could charge 350 a night, is able to, would be able to charge 1500 a night until Airbnb came along. Then Airbnb comes along, people see this opportunity, they put their, their units on the market, and now the hotel can only charge maybe $1,100 a night or $800 a night. And that those being able to charge on those peak days turned out to be really important in the overall annual profitability of hotels. So what you see in the data is that bookings throughout um, the past decade have tended in the New York City market have tended to rise year over year on average, except for things like the pandemic. Um, but uh, the pricing is what has actually gotten um, weaker. And so. In theory, what we can look forward to is like if if the situation continues to hold with what we're seeing here on events when Comic-Con is in town, major convention events, when Taylor Swift or Beyonce is having a concert or at the Christmas holidays, you may see that hotels get more pricing power. Um, but let's let's uh, let's get into some of the questions. So Juan Pablo has a, a Q&A with, you know, the, the headlines are saying New York is the start for harsh regulations around the country. This gets back to a little bit of a point of what Sri was talking about earlier. Do, do any of you have a view of whether, is the U.S. becoming less friendly to short-term rentals? Is this part of like a backlash nationwide? Yeah, would you, I, would, I would say, um, I don't know about, I think it, people are just trying to find a balance. I think people do can see the value in a short-term rental, but I think because it's so profitable, so many people have um, tried to start businesses there and it's overrun a lot of cities. And um, I believe this, I believe the New York law was modeled after Santa Monica, California. That's what I was, that's what I heard from talking with someone who helped write the law. Um, and then I think it was a similar law was enacted in San Francisco. And I was actually looking on Airbnb in those areas and you can't really find, I mean, pretty much all of them are long-term um, and they're wor they have like specific words that are used, which I thought was interesting too. Um, so- You mean like the similar words are used from one law to the next, so it's probably- they're, Or I they're mean like in, in the listings, like they'll say, oh. this is a, I can't remember anymore, but something like a, a suite or um, I, d I haven't looked into what, what the reason is for that, but I imagine because so many had the same language that there was something, oh, but um, yeah. So I think it's just, it's, it's a trend and New York's not the first. New York's yeah, actually kind of late to the game. Yeah, definitely not. I, I agree with Justin. So if you were to look at um, you know, globally, I would say there are stricter or at least restrictions that are asterisk. Um, if you were to look at markets like Lisbon, uh, Lisbon has, I think, stopped issuing new licenses at all. Uh, and the housing crisis is a bit, it's, is a lot more severe there. Um, you also cannot, um, you, you, like, you can't, these licenses are not transferable. Now, 
that's that's true of a lot of places, but I think that law is very, very strictly enforced in Lisbon. Um, this year, actually, um, Florence banned all short-term rentals from its historic district. Um, and I think in Amsterdam, it's only allowed in like three specific districts. And um, also in Paris, uh, they're going to tighten the regulations ahead of um, the Olympics next year. So this is definitely not uh, by any means just a US thing. And like Justin said, I think if anything, it's it, it looks more like a reaction um, to, to things that to places have always already been regulating them. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so Dennis, we have a question from Elisa. Um, she asked, do you think New York City will strictly enforce the regulation? Your reporting over the weekend was like, they're, it, it's, they're not going to come in hard right in the very first day. Uh, but what do you have? Do you have a sort of sense? I have a sense that eventually they're going to try. But I guess it depends on how much uh, staffing they have to um, to carry out the enforcement. I know I talked to a host who um, she had been fined, um, you know, a year ago, like a six thousand dollar fine for, um, you know, for for um, renting out a whole home, you know, for less than 30 days. So there have been sporadic efforts. And I think uh, the city is going to get much tougher. You know, there's a. Um, there's a, a banned buildings list, which we haven't mentioned yet. And there are about um, 10,000 buildings uh, as of a few as of last Monday that have put themselves on the list. And what that means is they're basically informing the city that um, short term rentals are already banned in their buildings by the leases. You know, and in the past, tenants have um, just, you know, rented them out anyway, even though it broke their leases. So this is a way for them to uh, let the city know, don't don't register anybody in this building. It's banned. That's interesting. A banned building. I'd love a slideshow of that. I bet some of them are pretty. Uh, <laughs> I would also like at. to add something if um, if you have time. So. Um, I think going forward or, or already, um, the way cities enforce this has become a bit, a bit more convenient, right? There, there are companies um, that sell software to cities where, you know, the software just crawl the web and it just pops out like new listings um, if they don't have a license or a registration number. So cities don't have to, you know, monitoring them is is getting easier. So that's something to remember um, for people who, who want to continue doing this, but not by legal means. Uh, it is, it's becoming easier to identify bad actors. So <laughs> that makes, yeah. that makes good sense. Go I'll ahead, add to you quickly oh, sorry, that, um, what I heard from one of the main housing advocates um, in support of the law, they, he was expecting that probably in two years, that virtually all of like the illegal quote unquote illegal hotels will be pretty much gone. So that's what, that's their sort of timeline estimate. Justin, I just wonder, I, one of the things I loved about your reporting was you were talking about all the ways that uh, hosts are gonna find to get around the rules. You know, there's such, there's such demand for short-term rentals in New York City people are going to find a way to flout the rules. I wonder how those professional hosts 
are going to get around it. The ones that are running those illegal hotels, it'll be really interesting to see if they're really going to get shut down or if they're going to find find loopholes, you know, find ways to get around it. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure people <laughs> will find ways to get around it. Not everyone, obviously. I think a lot of people will be deterred because it'll be a lot of effort, but especially the people who already have repeat customers, um, and I think a lot do, especially some of the luxury um, apartment people. Um, but I think their, their own website, their own maybe offline system as something I've heard, I've heard like, I mean, maybe even just like via Facebook groups and things like that is a possibility. There's also um, risk of, scam, you know, a lot of scammers getting involved too. But um, yeah, I think uh, it'll happen. We'll, we'll just probably won't be out in the open it's so much, but we'll see. If you rent an Airbnb, what's the first thing the host does? The host gives you their WhatsApp number so they right. can talk to you directly and you can book with them directly the next time. The only thing yeah. is, why do platforms like Airbnb exist? Because they do marketing on behalf of hosts. It's going to be tougher for those small-time hosts to, to get those direct bookings that they want. They're going to get some, but I wonder if they're going to get them in the numbers that they, they can through Airbnb and Verbo or whatever. Right. It'll have to be through word of mouth, I suppose, mostly. Yeah, so we have we have about three minutes left. I guess just building on that, Marguerite in the comments made sort of a point that amplifies this. It does seem like it's uh, we're gonna the, the irony of the situation, if irony is the right word, is that it's going to maybe favor the professionals who are going to be able to do just like what you say. They're going to be better at routing around these problems, and then that actually may hurt the homeowners because you're now instead of dealing with a lot of little local people who are just entrepreneurs, you're going to be having uh, homeowners. We had one question from Alexandria who said, are you expecting average daily rates to decrease um, for the short-term rentals with the new 30-day requirement? That's kind of an interesting uh, point to me is that, you know, Airbnb and the other platforms may see the average daily rates that they generate out of New York go down on average uh, as uh, during this period while you're adjusting. Dennis, would, would that intuitively seem plausible or? Um. I'm not sure because if there are fewer, you know, uh, fewer properties available for rent, why would the average daily rates go down? They'd be more in demand. But uh, Shri, I saw you nodding your head. Do you have an, uh, an idea about that? Um, I was just, I mean, I was just going to point out the example of um, a place like, say, Amsterdam. Um, average daily rates, at least in the short term, will not go down. They will only go up. Um, because the ones that will remain are professionally managed properties. Um, and I think they will kind of display the professionalism, you know, front and center. Um, so I don't think we're going to see ADRs go down. But yeah, as the length of stay increases, people might get more discounted stays because they are longer. But yeah. Very cool. Yep. And uh, one of the Aditi also had an interesting point that this may possibly hurt New York City if you're trying to have a recovery after the pandemic to take away some of the more affordable uh, lodging for some period of time during the fall. It may have a, a side effect. Unfortunately, we can't get to all of the questions. Yes, Dan, it's true. Brian Chesky will be attending Skip Global Forum. Uh, and we, we expect to ask him about this topic uh, at the event. And on that note, 
we'd like to encourage all of you to attend Skiff Global Forum. Thank you very much, Dennis, Sri, and Justin for, for this conversation. We want to sort of leave on this opportunity for everyone attending here to have a special QR code in order to get a discount to Skiff Global Forum. Uh, and yes, Brian Chesky will, will, will this will be like a, one of he's he's been a regular attendee uh, speaking on stage uh, in conversation with our CEO Rafa Ali. Thank you very much for everyone for participating. I really enjoyed and learned a lot in this conversation. I hope you have a, a good rest of your week. Thanks. Thanks, Sean. Thanks. This has been the Skift Podcast. Thank you for listening. 